This is probably one of the most important uh, podcasts and series of podcasts we're ever going to put together because the podcast that follows and those that follow after it discuss a particularly interesting challenge and um, set of activities we took on in the Middle East earlier this year. And we spent a lot of time thinking about whether or not to do this set of podcasts and secondly, if we did them, how do we package them and capture them in the best way to make sure firstly that people find this beneficial when they listen to it, but secondly, do it in such a way without I- giving away the identity of the candidate that we were dealing with. And you notice that of all the podcasts we published on the website, this took the longest to be um, um, uploaded. There was a reason for that. Even though we had permission from the candidate to discuss his profile in obviously a very uh, scrubbed manner, we made the decision to first get him to listen to the podcast uh, before we, we, we put it up. Uh, we thought that was the right thing to do because he is an unusual candidate and we wanted to make sure that there was no chance that um, he felt his identity was being compromised. So that's the delay. Um, We did have to redo one of the podcasts um, because we felt that um, in hindsight maybe one or two pieces of information uh, may allow the listener to link the candidate. So let's talk about what happened. Um, Early this year we were invited by a client, so a client that I had when I was in management consulting who came up to me and said, hey Michael, I know you now run this training program. My son's been invited for an interview at a certain uh, one of the big three consulting firms, and I want you to prepare him. And we had a long discussion. He was one of my very good clients. We've known each other very well. He understands the way we operate, and I did explain to him that um, we needed to screen his son. It's just the standard procedure, and it's more to protect him actually as well. You know, we want to make sure that if he works with us, not only are we confident we can train him, but we're confident that the money he spends is not going to be wasted. So we had three screening sessions with the son, and really the reason why we had three screening sessions was we wanted to make sure that if we took the son on as a client, we would not damage relations with the father. That's very important for us. It's not because the father is a source of revenue, not at all, because we don't do work for businesses anymore, but purely to maintain the long-term relationship with the father. So after three screening calls, we realized there was a lot of of, um, development areas this candidate had. But we felt that we could train this candidate. We also felt that given the development areas this candidate had, which I would discuss in more detail later in this podcast, we'd probably have to step out of the traditional areas we train candidates in and, and prepare a whole new style of teaching. We realized by working with this candidate, we would basically be reinventing the way we taught candidates to prepare for cases. And that's the other reason we uh, took the case, or or this particular uh, situation. This is the reason why we took the candidate. We realized our our training program needed to be changed. It's been six months since we set it up. And we thought that by picking a particularly difficult candidate, that challenge would force us to step outside of our comfort zone and rethink some of the ways we're tackling problems. I'm going to put this in context for you. We spent 11 days in the Middle East. I'm not going to name the country. We basically arrived there on a Thursday night. We spent the whole of the weekend and we spent the whole of the next week and a few days of the following and then we left. In that entire time, we only stepped outside of our hotel room. I think it was for about maybe 10 minutes to get from the um, a main a room we're using for training to go to the dining area. You need to walk through a foyer, which is an open area to get there. And it's quite a long walk. So that's the only time we stepped outside of our hotel besides the time we, we took to get from our car 
to the hotel itself. We spent the entire time in the hotel. It's it's kind of a surreal experience. You arrive in this beautiful country. It's gorgeous hot weather. You know, if you live in Canada, you know all hot weather is gorgeous. And the windows are tinted, and you can just see all this beautiful things happening outside. And you're stuck inside with air conditioning. Pretty much the same room. We we booked the same room. And our philosophy was simple. We did not want to work in the candidate's house because we wanted to move them away from a distracting environment. When we screened the candidate, we we identified quite a few challenges. I'll I'll talk to you about them in a few minutes. But let's just talk about who the student was. The student happened to be the son of quite a famous person in the Middle East. Um, and given that kind of background, there was a lot of expectations on the student to live up to the family name. Um, I've personally felt that it wasn't clear to us who was wanted to join the consulting firm, if it was the father or the son. And I do think the father was sincere. I do feel that he wanted what was in his son's best interest. And and after having a few discussions with the father, I kind of also realized that it wasn't the father that was really pushing for this. It was the son who was pushing to get into management consulting, but it was the father who was pushing to get help to get the son into management consulting. And that's a very crucial distinction for us. If we found out it was the father pushing the son to go into management consulting, then we would have declined because you know, you can't manufacture interest in the sun. I would say the student was pretty bright and you know, went to a pretty good school in the United States, top 10, good grades, um, fairly balanced resume, nothing, you know, extraordinary, nothing bad, average, good. What did we do? Well, you must understand the candidate was weak in every area. The candidate was weak in knowing how to learn. I mean, that's really it. The candidate did not know how to learn. So it's one thing to, to, to show the candidate how to do things, the other part that he struggled with is using the information we gave him. He wasn't sure how to take the information we were giving him, process it, synthesize it, and apply it. We had to teach him how to do that. Absolutely weak in cases. I mean, we were starting from a zero base here. Yeah, this candidate had never done cases before. No understanding of cases. Nothing. Nada. I remember the first discussion we had um, over the phone when we were screening the candidate. We asked him, you know, tell me what's happening in the world. And just anything that interests you. And he said, well, I was reading a story about how Hank Paulson, the U.S. Treasury Secretary at XYZ, and I just stopped for a second. Hank Paulson had not been U.S. Treasury Secretary for at least two years when we had done this call. And this candidate still thought Hank Paulson was the U.S. Treasury Secretary. That immediately was a warning sign that this candidate is not well read, uh, pretty much out of the network of important news. Um, and we would have to train them, actually, to bring themselves up to speed on key news events. We're doing the case training in English, obviously. We don't speak any other languages. And the candidate was going to interview in English and another language. We found the English was was pretty weak. Uh, I wouldn't say very weak, but weak enough for us to have some concerns. Um, and we did feel the candidate needed to put himself through some more English training, which we had to design for them as well. Uh, the candidate was obviously a very polished dresser, you know, well well presented and very professional. But you know, you can be well presented and wear some, you know, Jean, some funny little outfit from France. So you can be presented and wear Brooks Brothers outfit. The point is, you have to dress the way management consulting expects you to dress. And we did feel this candidate was all very, very well dressed, but very flamboyant, and we had to teach him how to dress, basically, to fit a certain image. That's the part he didn't understand. You know, how do you, how does your dressing influence the perception people have of you? And it was. 
It was pretty difficult to do that. Speaking was a tough challenge for us. The candidate had a certain way of speaking, groomed both by the country he had grown up in, the way he communicated with his servants and um, house staff and his family and so on, and also just the education he had received in the United States. We felt his, his speaking needed some fine-tuning. And if people who have worked with us know we spend a lot of time getting people to speak like a management consultant. I think the candidate was a bit upset when, he asked him to, when we asked him to change his hair and his beard. Um, well, not really a beard. I don't mean a, a, um, a traditional beard, which we, you know, which is different. You know, for re for religious reasons, you have to keep that. But you know, when you kind of um, when you kind of stenciling in letters of the alphabet into your beard, it's kind of not going to work in a consulting interview. So anyway, we kind of realized that this candidate was being brought to us because they're making the transition from you know, being a student to sort of a professional career with one day hoping to join the father's business. And the best way to describe what we did was pretty much an extreme makeover. I mean, it was pretty intense, 11 days uh, of hard work. Um, we would, um, you know, start early in the morning at 8 a.m. We started at 8 a.m. Um, we would then continue the whole day, have lunch with the can, continue with them the whole day until about... 9, 10, sometimes 11 p.m., but usually 10 p.m. We wanted them to get sleep. Then we'd send him back to his hotel room. Um, we wanted him to stay with us. We didn't want him to stay at home as well. Uh, and then go and get him up the next morning because he was too tired to get up by himself after all those sessions. We had to get him up, get him to breakfast, um, then bring him to the sessions and just go through the process. 11 days of doing that is pretty intense, I must say. I don't think we es we we um, we had a pretty. We, I don't think we really understood the amount of energy it takes to do that intensely. Also, knowing that there is a target in 12 days, his interview would be held, and you know it's just the deadline cannot be moved. Uh, we had already moved the in deadline a few times, and we realized that any more, and we would jeopardize his chances of getting the interview in the time he sought it. I mentioned to you why we took this why we took this particular candidate. Um, we felt he could be placed um, a lot of development areas, but we also felt it'd be a unique opportunity to really stress test our curriculum. Um, and we we felt that um, his father was sincere, a family friend. But more than that, I think the father understood the way we operated. He wasn't expecting that family relationship to um, um, tinge our opinion or tinge our training approach. And he knew that we'd give him very honest feedback, which we did give. I don't think his father's ever received. I think his father's ever received eight pages of criticism on their son the first day we 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 started, but he knew the way we operate, right? So I think he admired that, and, and I think he liked the fact that someone would come in, not be blinded by you know the power of the family, and try to say good things about their son just to get into good books. I mean, we were quite honest and said that we'll be very honest with you. At any point, you don't want to proceed with this. Just pay us all costs. Our standard rate, we applied, you know, pay, we charged a standard rate of $200 an hour, nothing extra. Just pay the standard rate and we'll end it there, but we will give you the honest feedback at all times. And I, and I mentioned how we did this, it was all in person. Imagine you've got a, um, a hotel room, which isn't very big, we picked a small room. It was maybe about 5 by 5 square meters, a huge um, um, study uh, table. Um, we also had picked a room that had a small couch with, with a, sort of a little kitchenette kind of layout with a coffee machine, pastries and so on and wall-to-wall -wall whiteboards. That was very important for us. It was our key criteria that the, that the hotel set up white-to-white whiteboards sorry, wall-to-wall whiteboards so that we had enough space to write on. So you basically got a, a study room where the walls are all whiteboards 
we wanted a projector and we wanted it to be made very clear that there should be no interruptions. We didn't want anyone to be strolling through this place to disrupt us, so we pretty much picked a wing of the hotel and, and you know, the father was quite willing to accommodate us and make sure that no one came through. And that's the way we began. So let's talk about some of the challenges, because the challenges are what I think separates this candidate. I would say there was a lack of initiative from the candidate side, and we were quite clear about that up front. I mean, the candidate would not do things of their own volition. So, for example, we would uh, get in in the morning, and we would say, what are we going to do now? And the candidate would say, I, I don't know, what do you think we should do now? And we'd say, oh, let's do some, um, let's do some reading exercises, right? Or let's do a case. For the first seven days to eight days, we had to drive the initiative. At no time did the candidate say, hey, I'm going to do this. What do you think? Or, or I think the answer is this. What do you think? Never happened. We did everything. Linked to the lack of initiative, there was a lack of energy. I mean, we've never dealt with a candidate whereby we had to get them out of bed Make sure they were ready on time to leave the apartment, or the hotel room in this case. Get them to breakfast. Make sure they ate. Get them to the um, room and then watch the time, because the candidate was not watching the time. The candidate would not bring any energy to the room. If, if we had sort of stood back a little and let the candidate lead with the energy levels, it would have been a pretty intensely... Uh, morose exercise. So we had to bring a lot of energy, and that's pretty tough to do. To maintain energy levels over, say, 12 hours a day, 12, 11 days in a row, is, is difficult. And we had to do that, and we used numerous exercises. I mean, we, we, we had to inject little sessions whereby we could talk about things, make sure there was enough food in the room. Just make sure that we did not reach a point whereby the energy levels had dropped to such a point that we were being stuck in a pattern that no one wanted to talk and no one wanted to contribute. It's very easy to get into a room and everyone is so tired that no one wants to do anything. And to fill that gap, I mean, it was not a we, I mean, I w it was two of us there, but I had to basically step up and, and stand up for all the training. So all the training I did, rather than sit on a, on a, at my table and sort of, you know, write on a sheet of paper, I stood up and I drew it on whiteboards. Every th all the training was on whiteboards just to get movement in the room and make sure that everyone was really energetic about what was happening. The entire exercise was not taped. It was a condition of the exercise that we were not allowed to be taped purely because when candidates know things are going to be taped, they don't pay enough attention because they think they're going to follow up later, but you really can't. There's no time to do it. And believe me, I mean, you're taping 12 hours times 11. I mean, that's like 100 and what? Um, that's like 100 and. 30 odd hours, that 132 odd hours that you're going to be working on. There's no way you're going to be able to go back into 132 hours of tape and find out what you're looking for. So, taping was kind of difficult. We mentioned some of the practical difficulties of um, dealing with this candidate. Um, you know, the lack of interest, um, lack of business knowledge, and so on. We also found that this candidate, beyond you know newspaper stories, just had a very weak general knowledge. You know, we'd do a case with them and we'd ask them to estimate the number of Starbucks in the United States and he would say something like, there are 50 Starbucks in the United States. And I asked him, okay, you studied in this U.S. city. How many Starbucks did you see around your university? He said, well, one, two, but maybe eight. And he said, okay, you didn't go to a big, you didn't study in a big city, right? Correct? And there were eight Starbucks there. Don't you think that maybe given that ratio, there's probably going to be more than five times 
those Starbucks in the whole of the United States? And he said, mm, yes. But the point is, they would firstly had a weak general knowledge, so they couldn't pick out relatively accurate answers. Secondly, they weren't able to use their own experience as a foil to test their general knowledge. The math was weak as well, but not intensely weak. I mean, this candle was not making ridiculous uh, calculations, but the math could be tighter, sharper. They were very bad at carrying units. I mean, they were just miserable at that. We're just killing them, especially when we did a lot of heat calculations for the, for the McKinsey cases. We introduced a lot of cases where we were dealing with heat transfer, energy efficiency, and so on, and they struggled with the unit conversions. But more than that, we also found the way they wrote out math problems in a piece of paper was extraordinarily um, unstructured. Poor communication. The candidate did struggle to communicate. Um, you know, we well, we look for a very polished style of communication. The candidate could not do that. Impossible to do that. And then finally, the candidate did not know how to learn. I mentioned that before. I mean, we're going to talk more about this in another podcast. But basically, we do a few days of training, and we ask the candidate, "Let's review the notes you put together." And the candidate says, "I didn't put together any notes." And I asked, "Why not?" He said, "I don't know how to do notes." And you know, four days gone. And we had to go back and teach them, f- literally teach them, show them how to do notes by doing their notes for them and then getting them to follow that through. And, you know, I'm going to stop the podcast there, but I just wanted to recap some of the key points here. The point is that this was a difficult candidate, no doubt about it. One of the most difficult candidates we've ever had. All the techniques that we now teach candidates comes out of the changes we made to our training program as a result of our interaction with this one candidate. The way we now teach candidates to do estimation cases, people love it. I mean, they think it's the most amazing thing we've ever taught them. It comes out of dealing with this candidate. We just had to reinvent the way we did certain things because the candidates were struggling to understand the concepts. And, and I mean, the final point here, we do have some Hail Mary candidates that we take in, you know, candidates that have really a long shot of getting in. I mean, 600 GMAT, age is all incorrect, don't speak well. They're difficult candidates, make no doubt about it. They do not fit our profile. And the question is, you know, people always ask, you know, why did you take me, Michael? Learning to deal with those challenges successfully, the only way for us to reinvent what we do in a better way is to take on extremely difficult cases. Obviously, we're not going to take on all extremely difficult cases because that's not possible. I mean, we, certain candidates just cannot be placed, but we pick candidates who we think have a lot of potential, and maybe due to circumstances, they just couldn't um, you know, end up the way they wanted to. And we say, okay, this candidate, and we take two at any given time, not more than that. We think that they can do great things, but it's going to take a lot of work from ourselves. So we basically have to reinvent our curriculum to deal with this candidate. But it's worth doing it. Because by taking on this candidate, we are forcing ourselves to really step up our game and you know, people now know that, w- that we teach a supply-demand approach for um, market estimation cases. The way we develop frameworks is totally different from what other people do, including consulting firms. But it's so intuitive, so simple that consulting firms love it. All of those things, we developed it from dealing with this candidate. We basically sat down and said, hey, we spent two days dealing with this candidate. It's not working. The candidate doesn't know how to learn. We've got to find a new way to get them to understand these things. And we just reinvented the entire way we teach candidates. Everything changed as a result of this candidate. And that's why we want to spend a few podcasts discussing, firstly, what are the, what happened on each day and how we responded to it. 11 days from a zero base in the interview. And I remember there's a very funny story on the final day. Yeah, we were, we were, uh, 
the day before I had gone to the um, automated banking machine and withdrew some money because I know the candidate's very you know forgetful. He's worth a lot of money, but he's forgetful. So we withdrew money and we gave it to him and said, "Look, you may need money for a taxi tomorrow and so on. You know, don't go with a with a family car; it doesn't look good. Just rent a taxi and go there." And he said, "Okay, good." Next day we were walking down. We had we I went with him for the interview. I decided to just go with him. There's a couple of nice restaurants I wanted to see as well. It's really good to get out as well after 11 days cooped up in a hotel. So we were walking down the street, and then I asked him, "Okay, so how do you feel?" He said, "I feel good, Michael. You know, I'm quite happy about what's happened. I'm a bit nervous." And I said, "Don't worry." you're fine. Don't be nervous. Go there knowing that if you fail, nothing will matter. And then I asked him, okay, so how are you going to get back to me after the um, interview? He said, um, I don't know. Um, uh, can I walk? And I said, why don't you use the money we gave you? Just take a taxi to me. And then he said, okay, I left the money in the room. And I said, do you have your bank cards? No. Do you have any money? No. I think that kind of captivates the challenge with this candidate. You know, No matter how much you prepare, the candidate is going to introduce a variable that w is just going to derail the plan. And our challenge was to develop a training program knowing full well that the candidate could do things that was going to hurt him and his chances of getting the job. And we had to build almost a candidate-proof approach. It was very difficult to do it. At the end of the day, I eventually gave this guy my restaurant money and I paid it with my credit card when I went to the restaurant. But the point is... This was a truly trying candidate. And I think that when you listen to this podcast, some of you are probably in a bad position, you know, struggling with cases and so on. The point I want to make is that you're not unusual. This candidate did play successfully, but it's a very interesting story of what actually happened in the interviews and so on. Uh, and uh, we, want to we want to explain that story because it's very interesting. He did play successfully. And, you know, today I speak to him six months later and so on. And he's a totally... I mean, he's, I see the... the the elements of the person we dealt with, but it's not the same person. He's quite a polished young man, very disciplined, very focused. Um, you know, he writes to us once every two, three weeks to give us an update in terms of what's happening to his career. Basically, the point we're trying to make here is that everyone faces challenges. It's not important whether you face the challenge. It's important how you respond to it. I mean, this candidate was lucky to have, you know, um, help throughout the process, but getting some help is useful, even if you don't get help. You have to be very, I wouldn't say critical, but very self-aware of what your development needs are and be able to work with them. Everyone is unique. The way you learn is unique. The kind of help you need is unique. And moreover, no one approach exists to train people. As I mentioned, we have to reinvent the way we train people here. So when you are going through your own case and you feel that you know this is, not, this is just not working for you, You've got to think to yourself, okay, if this is not working for me, I'm, I can't obviously repeat it. I mean, if I'm doing cases with my friends for three weeks and I'm not making any progress, doing cases with your friends for another two weeks is not going to help. I think Einstein said the definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over and expecting a different result. So if things don't work, you've got to stop, take stock and change. That's the only way to improve. So I'll end the podcast there. Hopefully you found this interesting as a sort of a context setting for the next few podcasts, which will go into more detail. I think you'll find this uh, few podcasts very interesting. Certainly, it changed the direction of the way we prepare and groom candidates. Thank you. Bye-bye.